Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Intelligence Matters ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Fenty Beauty, and Expedia. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This is Intelligence Matters with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morell. Brought to you by Lockheed Martin. Your mission is ours. We'd been worried about Al-Qaeda as a group back to the middle of the previous uh, decade as they as they grew. While I was still in CTC, the creation of virtual stations to manage the effort against Al-Qaeda, I think, was the beginning of a large and growing effort. It was by far the largest effort for the center, not as large as the effort that we devoted uh, to some nation-state issues that changed after 9-11. It was a big effort, but not the most substantial one. After 9-11, that changed. This is the third in a series of episodes we are producing to commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11. In this series, we are interviewing a number of people about where they were, what they did, and what they saw on 9-11. Our guest today is Winston Wiley, a career CIA officer who on 9-11 was CIA's deputy director of intelligence, the person in charge of all the agency's analysis. We'll be right back with that discussion after a word from our sponsor. I'm Michael Morrell, and this is an episode in a special series of Intelligence Matters, Remembering 9-11. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Winston, welcome to Intelligence Matters. It is very good to have you on the show. And much more important than that, it is very good to talk with you again. Good to talk to you. So Winston, given that we have so many currently serving 
intelligence officers who are listeners of the podcast. I wanted to mention before we talk about 9-11, one thing that perhaps you don't know, or perhaps you do know, but you had a significant impact on me and on my career. And one thing in particular comes to mind to me, which is you gave me a piece of advice once about career management that not only turned out to be true for me, but turned out to be something that I would repeat over and over again to officers who worked for me. And I don't know if you remember that or not. We were on a trip together to Hawaii and I had just given some horrible advice to career advice to an officer who worked for me. And in mentoring me, you told me that assignments, job assignments outside the chain of command, the ones that take you away from just being focused on the next step in the management ladder are the ones that really matter in a career and are the ones that actually build the breadth that one needs to be a senior officer and that are the jobs you'll actually remember you know, in retirement someday. And I don't know if you remember that, but I really took that to heart, right? And for me, that, that became being George Tenet's executive assistant, running the PDB staff, briefing the president, serving overseas. And I, I just wanted to let you know and to let all my listeners know who are thinking about how to manage your career that that advice was, was incredibly important to me and I think should be important to them. Oh, well, thank you for remembering that. I don't remember it in as much detail as, uh, as you just met, uh, made it. It's consistent with what I believe and, and what I tried to do. Uh, sometimes that's misinterpreted as uh, careerism or jumping from place to place. I saw it as uh, an opportunity to get spread across the range of activities that our agency afforded us. And a job to do, a chance to do that better. So my time in CTC and then coming back um, to be uh, ADDI and then uh, ADCI for Homeland Security, you know, was kind of true to that. And uh, I tried to share that with as many people as possible. And I'm glad you found it useful. I listened. I actually listened. Um, so this is a this is a great transition, um, Winston. You know, because there's so many young officers who listen to the podcast and because there's so many students who listen to the podcast and who are thinking about their future career trajectory before we talk about 9/11 the day I'd love if you could give us a kind of a synopsis of your career up to 9/11 we'll talk about your career after 9/11 later but if if you could share you know how did you end up at the agency and what different jobs did you have there leading up to 9/11 that'd be terrific well, you know, how did I wind up at the agency is pretty easy. I was born into it. Uh, my dad was uh, not in OSS, but was uh, a charter member of CIA when it was formed in 1947. And uh, it's about the time I was born, too. Rush forward, you know, up into college years. I went to American University and took a uh, part-time job that uh, exposed me to clerical and and helpful work, but you know, kind of uh, made me part of the uh, part of the family. I then went into the service and came back in 1972 and went into the career training program. Frankly, anticipating that I'd have a career 
in operations. But I found my interim assignments in the Director of Intelligence immediately fascinating and impactful and signed on uh, to be an analyst in the old Office of Current Intelligence. That morphed into the new structure uh, that the agent took on, the director of intelligence took on uh, in the late 70s. And by 1980, I found myself in the Office of Near East and South Asian Analysis as research director and as executive officer, among others, for the great late Bob Ames um, and, uh, and Helene Boatner. Worked for them um, until 1985 or so. I went to the Office of Global Issues as um, a deputy to Dave Carey, who later became uh, executive director of the agency. I worked for Dave four or five times and uh, got my first division assignment running the um, uh, International Issues Division in OGI. Did that for five years, Uh, was asked to take a tour on the IG staff for a year, came back to that in 1990. Uh, to work for Bob Layton in the Office of Near East South Asian Analysis as head of the Persian Gulf Division. And that's where I was when on the day Saddam invaded uh, uh, Kuwait in, 19, uh, in 1991. Worked through 1992 on uh, running Persian Gulf Division and found time, found it time to look for another job after five years in, in NISA. Uh, and was asked to become the deputy in the in the counterterrorism center. Uh, the center was the first of those having explicit leadership teams of a senior ops officer and a senior um, analyst. And I got to work uh, with Steve R as his deputy for uh, two years. Uh, Steve moved up to be direct uh, chief of the NE division and. I took over as uh, chief of CTC, brought on a very capable deputy from the ops side. So we continued the tradition of having one ops, one intel. Uh, Just in this case, we reversed the order and uh, spent five years building a program. It's hard to imagine how small the counterterrorism effort was in the early 1990s and how it grew through the 90s. Uh, but only exploded after 9-11, which is uh, where I found myself then as Associate Deputy Director for Intelligence. So, Winston, uh, you were the Deputy Director for Intelligence. You were um, in charge of all the analysts. Um, You were the agency's senior analyst on 9-11. Can you just very briefly explain to people what is that job and what was a typical day like for you? Uh, well, the, the deputy director for intelligence, as it was called uh, at that time, uh, is responsible for organizing and producing the intelligence product that the director uh, that the agency puts out. We write uh, the first draft and put to bed the president's daily brief, or most of the drafting for long-term analysis, and a heavy part of the load in doing national estimates and uh, both drafting and coordinating those. The, within the, uh, in the counterterrorism arena, uh, we had a substantial but not huge analytic presence 
embedded in the counterterrorism center to do uh, traditional analytic work, as well as a cadre of analysts doing uh, targeting and other uh, operational support work, bringing the tradecraft that they had developed in the in the DI. Uh, and my job, along with my two two immediate deputies, was to make sure that we got the right resources to the right people and uh, valued the product and maintained its quality. In fact, tried to grow it as much as possible. Winston, given the jobs you had, um, particularly your time in CTC, and then of course you couldn't ignore it as as deputy director for intelligence. Al Qaeda was was a focus of yours, I know. Um, and, and I'm just wondering, sort of, how worried were you about the group in general prior to 9/11, and how worried were you in particular that summer, given all the warnings that we had in the spring and early summer? How were you? How were you thinking about that? Well, we'd been worried about uh, Al-Qaeda uh, as a group you know, um, back to the middle of the previous uh, decade as they, as they grew. The, the creation, while I was still in CTC, the creation of uh, virtual stations to uh, manage the effort against Al-Qaeda, I think, was the beginning of a large and growing effort. With really, with almost every passing season, um, we used the analytic presentations of the directorate uh, to push on the leadership both the size, the scope, and the potential significance of Al Qaeda as a group. Um, we tried to do everything we could to add resources. Uh, both analytical and operational to that effort. Uh, it was by far the l- largest effort for the center, and yet not as large as the effort that we devoted to um, uh, to some nation-state issues. That changed after 9-11, but it was, it was a big effort, but uh, not the most substantial one. Uh, after 9-11, that changed. Okay, Winston, can you... Can you walk us through the day of 9-11 for you? Um, I know you did not plan to come to work that day. Can you walk us through it for us? Indeed. The uh, uh, the morning of 9-11 found me at uh, BW Airport uh, putting my youngest daughter on an airplane at 9 o'clock in the morning uh, on her way to California, only because she was taking her cat with her. Did she not take an earlier flight that would have had her in the air over the United States? as the attacks were going on. Um, well, i never forget the phone call I got uh, as I was parking the car from uh, my secretary letting me know that there had been, you know, first one, and as we spoke, a second crash into um, uh, the World Trade Center. I sensed immediately uh, the, the dramatic changes that that would put on us as a nation, let alone as an agency or, or us as individuals. So I suppose you knew immediately that this was terrorism. I, there was, uh, I did Yes. I knew it in my bones. Um, the, it, it didn't require, uh, me to sit down and on, well, you know, a single incident into the, uh, into the tower, perhaps an accident, a second. No, you know, I, I, I can't imagine that anybody thought otherwise. And immediately Al-Qaeda? It would 
they would have to have been at the top of the list. There were only only a few uh, uh, a coordinated attack with uh, at, at the fir- first two, and then it didn't take that long to realize that there were more planes aloft that were that represented a threat uh, with the attack on the, the Pentagon and later understanding what happened at Shanksburg. Uh, there just weren't very many groups that could uh, muster the the resources, the training, the tradecraft to be able to do that. So what happened at the airport as the word started to spread? Uh, surprisingly, very, very little. When I went uh, from the parking lot into the building, the, lo- the local television sets were showing smoke coming out of the, the buildings. Um, and But they were continuing to process uh, tickets for people to go into the waiting areas. And in fact, uh, I'm trying to go find my, my wife and daughter who were at the gate at that point. Um, I was directed towards a security guy who told me I needed a, uh, a gate ticket, uh, which turned out to be, I went back to the desk and turned out to be a, a, a simple ticket stub with the words gate ticket uh, uh, written on it in hand. Uh, uh, unimaginable difference in level of airport security in those days compared to what happened in the immediate aftermath or, you know, even this afternoon, if you were to go back out to BWI. And did you, you, you got to the gate and, and did you put your daughter on that flight or did you say? I got to the gate and at the same, as I had told them, you know, you guys aren't flying today. Uh, the, uh, the word had come out that the airport was being shut down and all flights were canceled. And so it wasn't there. It was, I was pushing against an open door. And, and you, you took them home and you, did you come to work then? Well, I, I took them home, but you you can imagine what the traffic was like on, um, uh, we went over to, to back over to 95 to try to, uh, take them home. And that was, just a solid jam. I turned around and went to the uh, Baltimore Washington Parkway and took took that down. Took the you know a lifetime of living in the Washington area, back roads to to get to places. And all along the way, there were fire trucks, you know, overtaking me coming from uh, Lower Pennsylvania, Delaware, uh, other places like that, heading towards um, uh, towards the Pentagon fire. And I guess to be on site took me probably three hours, four hours to get back uh, home and uh, then back over to the agency where I rejoined my deputies and George and, uh, and others. Uh, I was in touch by phone. The, uh, the team knew very well what to do. If nothing else, I mean, you probably remember that we'd, there'd been a fire a few months before uh, that had forced us to, uh, uh, look at how we dealt with um, uh, emergencies and um, the team and we actually set up an alternate site to work on on campus and the team fell back on that and you know we were uh, able to both produce intelligence and provide support uh, I think we took uh, pretty good care of supporting the director during that period I'll leave it to him to decide we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back with more of a discussion with Winston Wiley. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. So, Winston, in the days immediately after 9-11, what were you focused on? What were the kind of things you had to do? Uh, I'd say in the, um, it was, you know, part of the overall effort uh, that was led by, by the director to make sure that we responded in as uh, thorough and aggressive a way uh, as we could. Um, that What that meant principally, you know, from my point of view was, what could we do to uh, uh, quickly create more analytic capability focused exclusively on um, Al-Qaeda and its supporters? Uh, we had been undertaking a review of what our structure and resources were uh, led by uh, by Marty, and the um, that provided us the, the the raw material to look uh, at a pretty granular fashion what we were doing uh, and how much how many of us were doing that for each account in in the directory. Um, it, my immediate, almost immediate conclusion was that. We needed to double and redouble what we were doing in providing CTC analytic firepower. And I remember thinking that uh, better to overshoot than to undershoot in responding to that. And we um, put together a plan, I think, within a week to um, uh, make the, the largest reallocation of resources in the director's history. We, basically took you know, a chunk out of every office and uh, resubordinated them to uh, CTC and created an Office of Terrorism Analysis, uh, you know, fully capable uh, standalone office, you know, embedded in the counterterrorism center. So, In fact, you moved, I think, a couple hundred, if not three or 300 analysts I was dodging the. Yeah. I was avoiding yeah, yeah. naming numbers. Yeah, um, and I remember entire teams, right? Teams working on one issue or another were grabbed in whole and taken. Well, that was the, my uh, my strategy. There um, was um, that rather than grab X hundred people at random um, and and move them, that we move. Um, branch units with their leadership as one so that they would continue. They wouldn't physically move. They would just be resubordinated. Um, pull one and ask the office directors to uh, figure out, you know, what which branches that ought to be. And I you know, gave them target numbers and I said, pull one or two people back, hold one or two people back to continue to do the work on uh, the, the original target countries, and, uh, and then directed, um, you know, moved a very senior um, and experienced officer to take over the Office of Terrorism Analysis and to to build a structure out of that. But the idea, but essentially, we moved 
unit as a whole with their branch chiefs and in some cases, I think more senior officers so that, you know, they were used to working with each other. They're used to the leadership um, and tried to make that transition as seamless as possible. There were a few people startled by this, but uh, there was more even excitement at the possibility of, of weighing in in the immediate uh, aftermath of this crisis than there was resistance. Yeah, one of the other things that you had to do was to help the FBI stand up its new analytic capability. The president was asking much more of the Bureau than had been asked previously, and and they turned to CIA for help, and, and you provided it. Well, yeah, I, I'd had I'd been able to develop a pretty good relationship uh, with the, the FBI uh, counterterrorism folks during my time in CTC. We'd even gone as far as swapping deputies um, for a while. You know, they 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 did in fact come looking for help. It was frankly a hard, uh, a, a heavier lift to get people to go down to. Uh, the bureau to to work as analysts that was not seen as being uh, directly help, helpful as um, uh, moving to, to CTC. But we did in the end find uh, a dozen or so folks that went down and helped them set up their first analytic capabilities. Uh, it's hard to build a structure from from next to nothing, and the analytic culture and the analytic focus that our friends in the Bureau had, had been completely different than, than our experience was. So it was, they needed manpower, they needed some advice, um, and we had to try to make it not appear as if we were the pros from Dover coming in to telling them how to do their business. Yeah. And then I think one of the probably, you know, biggest issues we had post 9-11, as you well know, was a deep concern about follow-on attacks, which I think a lot of people really don't understand the degree of concern we had. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah. I, uh, when you asked earlier what I, what we were doing, you know, day to day, I mean, it we had always tried to be focused on the latest threats and conscious of the fact that, you know, we we needed to go deeper. Um, we we built analytic structures, a threat matrix, and teams of, of analysts so that every single threat report that we got, no matter how apparently far-fetched, uh, would be... Uh, chased uh, to ground. Many, 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 many of these were probably without basis, but we had no um, ability to be confident of that short of doing the work. And I think that uh, one of the uh, one of the, the big changes after 9-11 is that um, nothing was dismissed as being uh, too small a, uh, a probability. But it... it uh, that is a labor-intensive task. So sometime after 9-11, uh, George Tenet, the director of central intelligence at the time, asked you to take on a new senior assignment to create a new position. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Uh, in uh, June of the following year, the director asked if I would stand up a position called the associate director for Homeland Security. 
Um, by then, the White House decided that there would be a full-time department, cabinet-level Department of Homeland Security, and wanted to make sure that there was the same kind of uh, focus on supporting the creation of that department under Governor Ridge uh, as there would be on any other major intelligence issue. Um, as ADCI, he asked that, uh, not that I assume line responsibility for the, the support to Governor Ridge and the Department of Homeland Security, but that I use the, the background and knowledge that I had uh, in the intelligence community and my relationships across the community uh, to bring uh, what we could to that, uh, to that effort. Well, I added one deputy from uh, the ops director at CIA, another deputy from NSA, one from DIA, and one from uh, NSA. And we could and, and did uh, react by being able to reach straight to leadership in those, uh, those departments to make sure that new intelligence, new threat warnings, uh, a, a decision to reallocate resources in the direction of, of one area or the other could be done seamlessly and help the director manage um, his community responsibilities. At the time, the DCI had uh, both CIA and community responsibilities, which is not the organization that uh, exists at this point. And so the ADCI job was a when the creation of, with the creation of TTIC and NCTC, uh, those responsibilities more naturally fell on the community side. Uh, and um, I, I think even you worked in that environment for a while. We're going to take another quick break. We'll be right back with more Intelligence Matters. I'm Michael Morrell. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So Winston, maybe kind of jump jump around here, kind of big picture a little bit. You were retired when the U.S. government brought Osama bin Laden to justice on May 1st, 2011. What was your reaction when you heard that? Just, you know, uh, the uh, when they broke into the broadcast, um, uh, whatever I, I was watching, there was really only one thing I could imagine would bring the president uh, to um, uh, to the news, and you know, I I watched the words form on his lips, and could not have been uh, could not have been uh, more related. And then I want you to compare it to something else. I want you to compare it to the bringing of Mira Malakazi to justice. I think you were at Dulles Airport along with uh, Director Tennant when the FBI returned him to the United States from Pakistan. And maybe before you tell us how you reacted to that moment, maybe you could just tell our listeners a word about who 
he was and why you were there? Uh, well, Miram Alkanzi uh, was uh, the shooter in an incident that occurred on, uh, I think, January 6th of 1993, uh, right in the beginning of the Clinton administration, uh, where he uh, shot and killed two uh, of our fellow officers and wounded another three. That began, uh, at the time I was the relatively new uh, deputy director in, in CTC, uh, and that, needless to say, became uh, a leading target for, for our work. And um, I was in CTC for five years after that. Uh, and every night before I, I left, I got an update on where we were in a worldwide hunt for Miriam Alkanzi. Um, the, um, without going into uh, the particulars of how he was found and, and brought back, the, the day did come in 1997 when the FBI was able to uh, seize uh, control and were able to uh, have him not extradited but rendered back to the United States uh, to be turned over to Virginia law enforcement and presented in, in, uh, in, in courts here. I was asked, along with many others, if I wanted to go out to the airport uh, to see him come in. Uh, I, I would not have missed it. I wanted the chance to see face-to-face -face somebody that had caused so much pain in the agency and had um, killed our, uh, our fellow officers. I saw him march by uh, on the arms of uh, Brad Garrett, the lead FBI officer for the entire five years. Great officer, um, he remains active in uh, in pursuing uh, criminals and other murders. Um, but Brad marched him from uh, the um, Air Force plane that brought him into Dulles Airport. Dulles Airport because it was uh, in Virginia and in the the uh, same Fairfax County district that uh, the crime was committed in. Over to the uh, helicopter that took him to the prison. Uh, and uh, uh, pursued the trial. Uh, you know, now that you ask it, you know, what was my reaction? It wasn't. It wasn't elation at all. It was, you know, just, you know, disgust more than anything else. When I saw uh, what a weasley little character he was. Winston, um, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask the following question here and can choose to answer it to how you want, of course. We're taping this the day after uh, Kabul has fallen to the Taliban and the war in Afghanistan is over and the Taliban won. And I just love your reaction to what happened yesterday. Uh, Michael, it's too soon. I, I've been, you know, I've been gnashing my teeth and listening to my stomach uh, juices growl all morning long. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a historical moment. Uh, it will change us. I hope not in a completely risk averse way, but we've got to get smarter at what we do in, the, uh, in, in events like this. Um, it's a tragedy. 
Um, Winston, maybe just one more question, and um, I, I wasn't even planning on asking it, but but earlier you you talked about Bob Ames, and you talked about uh, working for him when he was running the Near East South Asia office. And I would bet most of my listeners don't know about Bob, and I was hoping you make take a couple minutes and talk about him and what happened. Bob Ames uh, was, you know, one of the leading uh, ops officers in the Middle East. Uh, there's a, um, um, forgetting the title of the book that was written by uh, Kai Bird um, about him, uh, The Perfect Spy by, by Kai Bird. Uh, to all of the, your listeners you know, who are at all interested in understanding um, uh, an important part of agency history, um, that book is uh, absolutely to be read. Uh, Bob uh, uh, was all, uh, in addition to his skills as an opera and contacts as an operations officer, he was uh, uh, one of the most uh, carefully read and analytical uh, people I've met. He served as the National Intelligence Officer for the Middle East, and um, uh, Director Casey asked him to take over NISA. Um, and one of the very few people that I recall having served as both the director of a, of a DI office um, and in as senior position. In, in, uh, he were, um, he as as the uh, Kai Bird's book lays out, he was on a uh, trip to um, uh, to Lebanon and was in the embassy when uh, it was destroyed in a bombing that killed Bob and uh, more than a half dozen other agency officers as as well as other people in in the building. Um, his loss was uh, uh, was huge. He was. Um, uh, he was still a young man. I think he had the the potential and vision and leadership to uh, have risen to the top of the agency, and uh, we lost him at, at far too young an age. Winston, thank you so much for spending time with us today. That was Winston Wiley, and this was a special episode of Intelligence Matters, Remembering 9-11. Please join us next week for another episode. Intelligence Matters is sponsored by Lockheed Martin. Your mission is ours. This show is produced by Olivia Gassis, Jamie Benson, Jake Rosen, Paulina Smolinski, and Ashley Armstrong. For more from this week's show, visit cbsnews.com. Intelligence Matters is a production of CBS Audio. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.